by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming It is Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors, and every week we bring in Wyoming Game and Fish Department to give us the information that you need, especially when we're to a point like we are now Rifle seasons are about to start. We've been archery hunting. Bird season is here. Ducks and goose and all kinds of just seasons are in now. And Janet and Justin Benfit are with us today. And ah, it's hunting season. It is hunting season. And, you know, one of the favorite things about hunting season, and I've said this a thousand times, so everybody knows, in addition to the fantastic colors and the weather and just being able to spend time outside in a little bit cooler light, one of our favorite things here at Game and Fish is it's check station season. And that's a time when we really get to interact a lot with our publics, visit on what they're seeing and how they're doing and and really get a good feel for what's going on in in the in the country and on the ground. And so it's it's an exciting time for us. You know, one thing that we've talked with Benefit about a lot over the last couple of years is the uh, research part of your job doesn't start when the seasons are over. It goes continually 365 days a year really because there's always something happening every season and these check stations aren't just so you guys can go out and catch people hunting illegally this is where a lot of the good boots on the ground information comes from that's absolutely right drew and while it is the law that if you pass a check station while you are hunting whether you are successful in your harvest or not Um, That is kind of the legal aspect of it, right? But it is absolutely biologically based so that we can see the condition of the critters that have been harvested. You know, what is the fat content in the body and and all sorts of different research projects that are going on across the state, whether we're doing a CWD sample, whether we're looking at, you know, horn growth and antelope, all sorts of different things that help us help the university, just help science in general. And so check stations are a vital part of the science in game and fish justin with the the check stations are there set places where you guys go or do you switch it up just so you know you kind of get to to touch different areas well every year is different drew um you know there it depends on the parts of the state so in some regions they kind of have established check stations that are open the same general time every year for example like you know opening day opening weekends that sort of thing here in the casper area we we tend to to vary our check station schedules a little bit and it really just depends on on the field data collection needs that we have so for example you know this year we have a a priority on collecting chronic wasting disease samples and in deer harvested west of casper so we're going to have some check stations out there west to try to try to help facilitate sample collection, make it easier on the hunters because we're actually requiring them to submit samples, that sort of thing. Um, and it'll depend on years when, you know, you know, we may have, so for example, now we have a quarter of the antelope licenses we did in some areas that we had just five years ago. So in some cases we don't, we won't have ch- the same check stations that we had just a few years ago. So it really just depends. It depends on our data collection needs, it depends on our license issuance. Um, and uh, what else we have going on around the region. Let's run through a a check station stop. So 
I'm coming back from from moose hunting or elk hunting or you know whatever, and I see a check station. I pull in. Like, how long is this going to take? Is it going to be fairly quick? Is it going to really just depend on what, how my day was? Well, for you, Drew, it will take hours, but for anyone else, it could be pretty quick and easy. Yeah, we will uh, go through your stuff with a fine tooth comb, Drew. But uh, no, it's we really try to be cognizant of that. That's a good question. You know, there's there's a few misconceptions that some people have, and Janet touched on this in, in her remarks, but you know, we do require you to stop regardless of whether or not you've harvested something or not. Um, uh, and, you know, we do get folks that say maybe they're hunting in, in Western Wyoming and they went through a check station in Farson and then they went through one by Alcova. And then we've had, you know, we've had folks like actually, you know, hit two or three check stations on their way home and, and they get a little cranky, a little annoyed at times because they've already gone through one. But we don't know that, you know, right. when we're running a check station outside of Casper, we have no idea that they were checked in farce. And so, so we, but we try to be really cognizant of getting folks out there pretty quick. So in general, when folks come through, if they haven't harvested anything, if there's a line built up, that sort of thing, we, we get those folks out the door pretty quick. In other cases where we're pulling CWD samples, you know, we do ask that, you know, for a little bit of patience, um, it, sometimes it can, it can take several minutes depending on how many animals you have and that sort of thing. So, so even if I'm duck hunting, do I need to stop at a, a check station? Yes, absolutely. So regardless of what species you're hunting and regardless of whether or not you have a, an animal with you. And I think that, that when I've talked to a couple of people in the last couple of weeks that, they're like, oh, you only have to stop if you're hunting big game. So I wanted to make sure that that we laid that out because, you know, there is confusion once in a while when you get a whole bunch of different hunters or even, you know, anglers or, or whatever. So I just want to make sure we've got that clear. Yeah, and most of our check station signs will actually say all hunters and anglers must stop. And that's a, another thing. So even if you're fishing, you need to stop at a check station. That's correct. When, yeah, and there are times when when our folks have actually established check stations in the summer months specifically to to check um, to fishing harvest. So really, uh, again, it goes back to the, the the biological part of the outdoor world to make sure you have the information that you need. And when you guys, I'm sure, have collected a lot of important information that has led to maybe the way uh, uh, something has changed in the future just from a check station. Well, yeah, I, I guess I really want to reemphasize Janet's comments um, and, and your question, Drew. You guys are spot on. I mean, there's multiple reasons to run a check station. So first and foremost, it helps us collect biological data on on the herds that, that we're hunting, you know, whether it's biological samples, horn measurements, antler measurements, that sort of thing. Um, but it's also a two-way information exchange. So it, it helps us learn from the hunters, like how they're doing. You know, some years it's like, you know, golly, every, every you know, other hunter you talk to is frustrated. They're not seeing deer. They're not seeing antelope. You know, that helps us kind of paint a picture too, as far as that information exchange, how those hunters are doing. And then in other years, it's like, man, there's antelope everywhere, you know, and that kind of helps confirm some of the stuff that we see too when we're when we're estimating these populations and collecting data and that sort of thing. So it's a two-way information exchange. It also helps us answer hunter questions. We can help direct folks, hey, you know, go to this part of the unit. You know, there's a there's a bunch of antelope hanging out here, that sort of thing. 
It helped, you know, land ownership questions. Is this a public road, private road? I mean, we can answer all kinds of hunter questions at those things. And then, and then the third part of it is a, is a regular, you know, a compliance thing, a regulatory compliance thing to make sure folks have animals properly tagged and they have the proper licenses and stamps and that sort of thing. But that's only part of it. And Drew, I would just like to add, um, it was a really neat week this week. Um, a couple weekends ago, there was a check station done outside of Rollins. And um, again, it was run with one of our biologists, Greg Hyatt, who has been with the agency, oh goodness, 40, 45 years, something along those lines. And I heard a comment from a hunter who had said, wow, it was so great to just have a conversation with him about what had been going on in his entire tenure as a biologist. You know, if you think about it, you know, half a half a century worth of information is holed up in that one man. And just the conversation that they had was, was really fantastic. And so I want to encourage folks to not be afraid to ask those questions and to have those conversations. It's a perfect time for you to, to get some of that information from the Game and Fish that maybe you've always wanted to ask and, and just maybe haven't found the time or, you know, made the phone call or the person that you want to connect with. So use that as a, as a great opportunity to ask your questions and learn more from us. Well, and, you know, to dovetail, to dovetail off what Janet just said, Drew, um, is, you know, it's funny, a hundred times a year, I swear I get asked by hunters, why did they cut licenses and why did they, why did they change the season dates or why didn't they do this or whatever? And I always like to tell folks, it's like, well, you're actually talking today. And I don't say that out of an ego thing or anything like that. I just want folks to realize that the, the folks that they encounter in the field in the fall are the actual local wildlife managers. There seems to be this, this sometimes misperception that, that wildlife management decisions are made at a different level um, behind closed doors or something like that. And, and often, the, you know, the wardens and the biologists that you encounter in the field during the fall hunting seasons, they're the ones on the front line making those decisions on future wildlife management. So if you got questions or input you want to give them, um, that's a great time to talk to them. Yeah, I, I think that people hear the commission and then they automatically think that they're, you know, that that the commission is the ones that are coming up with all the decisions and, and whatever. I know they, they may be the final word, but it all does come from you guys. And and one thing you did mention, Justin, that I, that I you know, really grabbed on was, you know, you guys are out there talking to the, the hunters, and if someone has been skunked four days in a row, I mean, talking to you guys would be a great way to maybe up their game and, and change their luck. Yeah, we sure try hard to help folks out. That's There's no doubt. I mean, um, you, know, they're, they're, you know, folks still got to put their own work in and that sort of thing, but we can sure give some folks some tips, especially if they're struggling, that sort of thing, or um, you know, some folks just don't understand, you know, how road networks go and how public land access goes in some areas. And so, yeah, we really do pride ourselves on trying hard to, to help those folks out. Well, definitely, if you are uh, hunting or fishing, stop in, check stations uh, the rest of the year. I mean, everybody's going to be kind of on edge here and there. So make sure you you do your part and go to wgfd.wild.gov if you have any more questions or just call them over there at the the regional office here in Casper. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors.
Hey there, it's Drew and Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And Brian, it's October 1st. That means that we've only got two full months, three full months of this year left. But that's a lot of time to do some hunting. Oh, it's some of our best hunting uh, coming up for sure. A lot of uh, elk rifle seasons are opening up here this next week. And um, and they've already been open in some areas, but... Yeah, it's uh, man, it's an exciting time of year. Now, I know as we speak, you and I are uh, going to be out and about in a uh, goose blind to start the season as today, the opening day for uh, duck and goose, too. Yeah, I think maybe yesterday, but we we some of us had to work yesterday. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be our first uh, first adventure this morning, and uh, get out there, and hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll they'll cooperate, and we'll have a, a good old time. You know, one thing that that I always feel is that when you start the season off, whether it's duck and goose or whether it's rifle season, you got to have the proper apparel and the proper equipment, and we've been talking about getting ready for that and. Uh, we've got an elk hunt coming up soon and all the ducking and goose hunting. It's really hard to, to keep track of what you're preparing for, really. Uh, so but when you guys come in here to Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, that's kind of the, the, the niche that you guys have is a little bit of everything for anyone. Yeah, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people that are, you know, been out grouse hunting or dove hunting and trying to just... Uh, you know, help them try to figure out what it is that they need, whether, you know, it's the, the proper license, whether they have a duck stamp or migratory bird stamp, uh, whether they've got their hip permit. You know, a lot of those little things that kind of we, we think we forget about until sometimes we're out in the field and went, oh, crud, we need to go get that. Um, but, yeah, and then just, you know, just prepping, you know, uh, for, you know for us, for the, for the goose hunt, you know. Uh, you know, if you're out grouse hunting and you're shooting lead, now you're going to be out waterfowl hunting. you got to make sure you've got all the non-toxic, the steel, that type of stuff. So just making sure that you've got all your, you know, ducks in a row. To yeah, say. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about, like, camouflage. If you're wearing camo and you're a 1,000 yards away on an elk, you're probably not really mattering what you're wearing. But if you're in a duck or goose blind, it's a little different because you really need that, that concealment. And what do you uh, what are you thinking when you're going out and uh, preparing for that kind of a situation? Well, a lot of it's just going to be um, how active we're going to be. So, like you know, we're gonna we're gonna set out decoys in the morning. So we're going to be pretty active and get pretty sweaty probably. So we want to wear something that we can layer layer ourselves with. So we don't have to have a real heavy jacket right off the bat. But once we start putting out decoys and we're not walking or you know do, moving around you know we're going to probably want a little bit heavier jacket just as we're sitting uh kind of like a tree stand right you're just you're not going to you're not going to have uh the heat that you need so uh and the same thing when you're you know we were grouse hunting earlier this week and um that uh you know got out there and it was you know 35 40 and you know you think you know you can get, need a sweatshirt well, then by the time you make your first run, you're, you're taking the sweatshirt off and you're just in a long sleeve T-shirt and a vest. So uh, in terms of camouflage, it, it all depends on, um, you know, what you're going to be doing. So in a duck blind, yeah, most of the time it doesn't really matter. You know, I like to have a camouflage hat, probably maybe something to cover my face. Uh, maybe maybe something a neck gaiter or something everything else for me is un under under a layout blind right uh, when i'm in my duck blind on the river you know i'm in a wooden box basically so again the, the, the camo doesn't make too much difference but there's just a lot of guys that hit the shorelines and you know they're jumping inside some cattails or uh, up against some uh, willow trees or um, sagebrush and you know they kind of want to make sure that they kind of match the background so uh, whatever whatever's 
conditions you're going to be in. You know, most of the camouflage that we carry is kind of more of a Western States camouflage. So it's not as dark green, not as timbery as, uh, you know, some of the, well, back where you're from Missouri, right? right? Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit lighter, uh, more grays, um, more, more earth tones and less dark green, um, like, you know, timber stuff. And like you mentioned before, you, you got to pre-plan, you know, if you're going out and you're in a layout blind, you got to keep from like shoulders up has to be camoed because yeah. that's what's sticking out so you know the, those early mornings you know a pair of hot hands in the in the jacket pocket just so you can keep your your fingertips warm you know that's pretty handy so a uh, good headlight a headlamp is almost i mean it's it's useful anytime right yeah. keep it in in your truck door just so that if you need to check something underneath your vehicle or what you know whatever um but yeah just that planning and just make sure that you have, can have a successful hunt you know, you and I have talked a lot about pre-planning and making sure that you're you're ready to go. And I know one thing that a lot of equipment manufacturers are making now are the uh, the bino harnesses, mm-hmm. which adds a little extra access for you. And the one thing that I really enjoy is they got that zipper pocket a lot of times on the inside because mm-hmm. you've always got to have your your license and things. So they're really kind of making it easier for you. Yeah, there's and then we carry an awful lot of different brands. You know, we carry everything from Mystery Ranch to Badlands. Um, the Alps has some, Vortex has some, and we carry just a little bit of everything. So if you want to bring your binoculars in to fit them, that's no problem. You know, most of the time we're going to carry the, the binoculars that you have, and, and we're certainly willing to open up a box and make sure that those fit. Uh, whether you want a zipper type or you want the magnetic type, uh, there's a lot of different options. It's not like it was when your grandparents were, you know, hunting and outdoors. They they make it as easy and convenient for as possible. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago, you know, that, you know, binos just are on a strap around your neck. That was that was it, you yeah, know. I mean, right. probably 15, 20 years ago, you know, they finally started making some cases, you know, to keep the dust off and the snow off. And so, I mean, just things, have, you, you don't think that things can get better, but they just kind of always do. When you talk about those binoculars, too, uh, the optics are just fantastic. You know, you've got the the Vortex and you've got uh, all the different brands that are, you know, so specific on what they use these days. Yeah, and I've been talking to a lot of guys this week. You know, we've got a lot of out-of-state guys that are coming through and they just kind of realize that they need to up their game on their binoculars. And I tell everybody, like, the glass quality is glass quality. It's like buying a diamond, right? The the more you spend on a diamond, probably the better clarity you're going to get and and the bigger the diamond, right? The same kind of goes with glass. You know, there's only a handful of glass manufacturers but the glass quality is rated and so when you're paying you know three thousand dollars for a pair of binoculars it's because it does have better glass quality so find a price point that you're uh, comfortable with you know whether that's 200 or 600 or 1500 whatever it is find that price point that you want to see and then let's let's go outside let's take let's take a look at those binoculars and let's look down the street and let you decide for yourself which ones you know fit you fit you and and you see the best out of when when it comes down to the breakdown if you're spending say $1500 on a pair of binoculars or $400 on a pair of binoculars what is the difference between the two uh, the glass quality obviously can you break that down a little more to make it a little easier for people to understand yeah you know it, it kind of depends on how you how you use them again you're right so you know if, if you're a guide and you're going to be sitting behind these these uh, binoculars for six eight hours out of the day uh, the better glass quality is going to be a little easier on your eye um, obviously there's different magnifications uh, 10 by 42s it's a 
uh, most common. That's 10 power magnification with a 42 objective on the outside. That's the most common, but you can get all the way up to 18 power by 56. So that's going to have a lot more light gathering capabilities, and it's going to give you uh, that, that feature of being able to zoom in. Instead of carrying a spotting scope with you, maybe an 18 by 56 is the, is the key. But you definitely notice over time, like if you're sitting and just glassing and glassing and you're just looking for that one deer antler to stick through a sagebrush, the quality of glass is going to make a big difference. I know the ones that, uh, that I have, they're 15 by 56. Mm -hmm. and, and I've taken a spotting scope out and I've taken those out. And you really can't tell much difference between the two other than the fact it's easier to focus in with the, the binos. On the spotting scope side, they make you know a straight, uh, straight lens and they make an angled lens. It really comes down to personal preference. You know, if you're using your spotting scope mostly in your truck, you know, a lot of guys just go with a straight uh, eyepiece because, you know, your target acquisition is a lot, lot better. You know, you're looking straight into the object that you're going through. Where when you have an angled uh, eyepiece, you're having to kind of look down. However, if you're sitting on the side of a hillside and you're just sitting there with your head down looking through the spotting scope and you're just, you're just covering ground, a lot of people like that angled one for, for that type of a scenario. And that right there is, is another reason to, to come out and before you head out with a, a pair of binoculars or a spotting scope that you're not comfortable with, come here, get comfortable, and check out a couple of different styles. But come on in and see them, Rocky Mountain Discount Sports before you head out in the field this fall. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. It's from Brian back at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And Brian, optics are very important as we were just talking about. But there are other uh, key, I guess, features when it comes to the, the fishing world and the fishing game. And we just read that uh, Casper, Wyoming has been ranked number two as a fall destination for fishing. Boy, we're right in the middle of it then. You know, everybody in this uh, Casper region is always known, you know, how important and how good the North Platte system is. You know, everything from the Miracle Mile all the way down to Glenrock Power Plant, right? And the fall fishing for a lot of those guys, um, and if you haven't booked a trip with these guys, I mean, do it. Because you, even if you're a novice fisherman, they're going to they're gonna help you out and get you, you know, learned up on what to do. And they're going to have the, the equipment for you. And some of the fall fishing, for one, it's a beautiful time of year. You get to see a lot of other uh, critters out there on the, on the banks, you know, whether it's turkeys or deer or antelope or whatever. But the fishing itself is just can be phenomenal. Like the, the brown trout through, through Casper, uh, the rainbows, I mean, it's a, it's a great place to be. We have, have talked all summer long that, you know, temperature, water temperature really plays a role in, in how the fish are biting. Mm -hmm. You get to this time of year where we're at 80 in the afternoon, 40 in the morning, mm -hmm. and then in between depends on the day. How are those fish reacting this time of year? You know, um, I haven't been on the water on the, on the river uh, recently, but, you know, typically, you know, we'll get a, a, a freeze and that'll help, uh, you know, kill some of that moss that's growing up and, and uh, it'll start dying off and kind of floating down in a way. So that'll help clear that up. But, you know, a lot of times those fish will just be in the oxygenated water. So, 
you know, they've got the river turned down pretty low right now. I think it's around 500. Um, and those fish, you know, will look for the ripples, you know, they'll, they'll be in that, that little bit faster water uh, where there's a little bit more oxygen. So that's, that's, that's where I usually focus on. We have a lot of guides, a lot of services right here. If, if you're an okay fisherman, but you really want a great experience, I, I would definitely check into that. You know, you've been talking to, to folks that are having a little bit of issue, but they're kind of the same where they're maybe not as proficient as fishing this time of year as they normally would be. They love to fish, but need a little assistance. We've talked about it before, but our, our reservoir systems, you know, they, they create patterns over time. You know, those natural lakes, which we, we don't have a whole lot of, you know, they don't fluctuate much. So, you know, a rock hump on, on a natural lake is always in that same location. Right. But as the water drops in our reservoir systems, you know, those fish will transition to a different structure. And especially at places like Glendo, where the, the weeds have always been so prominent uh, during the summer months, that's kind of holding those fish and those minnows and that kind of stuff. All those weeds are out of play. So those fish are on the sand, they're on the rocks, generally this time of year, really responsive to the shad that's in that lake. That's their main forage this time of year. I haven't been seeing as many shad as we have in the past, which Game and Fish kind of told us they were kind of worried about that earlier in the year because of how much ice was on the uh, lake last year. The, the pattern's still the same. So about a week ago, they put the plug in Glendo, and that water level is going to consistently just start rising. Um, October 1st, I think they start draining um, Alcova. So that's going to kind of create a little bit of a flush down the river system, and it's going to put more water into Glendo, and that's going to raise it up even more. But in my experience, uh, and we've talked about this a lot, is that when the water level is rising, that those fish will, will tend to be a little more shallow than maybe they were a, a week ago. The other thing to look at, and I've noticed it down at Glendo quite a bit, is the fish that are really hugging the bottom. They're either, they're either just inactive or they're not, uh, uh, not going to bite. Look for those fish that are just slightly suspended off that bottom on your graph. And if they um, aren't on there, uh, just keep moving. You're gonna find you're gonna find some active fish somewhere. We talked about this all summer too. Is if you're not catching fish right there, move because they're just they could be right up 10, 15, 100 mm-hmm. feet away. Yeah, and just because you see them, you know that's kind of kind of the the question with all this uh, forward facing sonar stuff is that you know guys are seeing and targeting fish you know one at a time, right? They're they're using that forward sonar and they're saying, okay, there's a fish, I'm gonna cast to it. Well, you can have a bunch of fish underneath your boat, but if they're not active, they're not feeding fish, then you got to move on. Right. So it, it really is all about pre-planning. And, and I, I feel like that's that's kind of what we talk about a lot is pre-planning. But if you don't, then you're just going out blind. Over over time, you know, Glendo gets down to 20% pretty much every fall. You know, I do it all the time. I memory fish a lot, you yeah. know. I mean, I'm like, yep, I remember last year I caught fish here. Well, if the water temperature is not the same, the water level isn't the same, I might have to try to figure something else out. But, you know, I, I tend to move around a lot. You know, sometimes it's kind of a pain where you have to like, okay, pick up your stuff, move the boat, go to another spot. But, you know, we'll go a quarter mile. Sometimes we'll only go 100 yards, but I'll I'll fish a shoreline for a bit where I think that where I've caught fish before and I think that I should find fish. And if I don't catch them in that first 100 yards of fishing, I'll pick up and 
go somewhere else. You know, I just, I'm not feeling it. So let's go figure it out. Leave yourself with options because you've got lots of options, especially if you're in a boat running around. I mean, it may be a little different if you're bank fishing, you know, to to make that big of a difference, but uh, you know, come on by and and check them out here. Rocky mountain discount sports. Again, uh, rank number two in the entire United States for fall fishing. I mean, you should take advantage of that while you can. Yeah, if you're one of those that didn't draw a big game tag and uh, you're wondering what you're going to do with your time, you know, book one of these services in town, whether it's uh, the Crazy Rainbow, the Ugly Bug Fly Shop, North Platte Lodge. One of those guys is going to get you set up. They get two people in a drift boat. They do all the work for you. They'll feed you a sandwich. They'll have all the the tackle you're going to need, and you're going to enjoy the heck out of it. Yeah, get out and enjoy what we've got right here in Wyoming. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Thanks for coming back and joining us here. And today we have a very special guest because we have a very special event that's coming up here in the next couple of weeks. The Wyoming Women's Antelope Hunt up in U-Cross is in its 11th year. And the director of Wyoming Women's Foundation, Rebecca Smith-Hazelton, is with us. And Rebecca, we appreciate you coming on because I know it's a stressful time and busy time. Yeah, that's right. The excitement and, uh, of course, the busyness is really coming up this time of year, but um, we are just running on adrenaline and just excited for this to happen in a couple of weeks. Uh, Like you say, we've been doing it for 11 years, and so there are certain things that um, we can count on and other things that something new comes up every year, so we're really excited. You know, in the world of hunting, there's no, like, set way that it's going to happen, right? There's no script. It's it's nature, and you just kind of you have to play it as it comes. But one of the best parts that you can predict is the fact that there are going to be a bunch of ladies in camp and really excited and some of them for the very first time to get out and do their hunting. Yeah, that's absolutely the most exciting part about this. I think for us is seeing those new hunters, um, some of whom have never even held a gun or shot a gun before and they come in and, you know, we try to prepare them a little bit mentally for it. We tell them it's going to be a really, um, really supportive environment to learn this new skill. And we pair them up with a mentor who's going to take them through the whole process. And we do have just mentors that help them every step of the way with the shooting, the planning, the hunt, the hunting, um, the all the field dressing and and then coming back to the the ranch as well. So, and and they actually have the opportunity to even do their own um, butchering their um, meat processing right at the ranch. And the whole idea is really to to make the ladies that are out there self sufficient, so that they don't you know need to rely on someone else to take them hunting. They can go out and do it all themselves. That's right. I mean, our mission at the Wyoming Women's Foundation is to help women achieve economic self-sufficiency in all areas of their lives. And so we see this as a way um, for women to learn how to put meat on the table for their family in an affordable way. Of course, there is a learning curve to hunting. I think um, all hunters, probably if you think back to when you started hunting, you know that you, you don't just go out one time and then all of a sudden you know how to do everything, right? right. And so we do try to provide some follow-up opportunities, um, networking with the other folks that are at the hunt, um, both their fellow hunters and the mentors that are on, uh, the volunteer mentors that are on hand, um, so that they have a community to help continue their hunting journey. So this is the 11th year, which means that there's 11 years of 
ladies that have gone out hunting for the first time. Uh, and I'm sure that there have been some that have come back maybe as that mentor step in uh, maybe not doing the hunting, but, but teaching. Oh, you're absolutely right. And that really honestly just gives me chills because we've had, um, we have a, a first time, a couple of first time hunters that hunted with us in the first few years of the antelope hunt and now are coming back as guides. And, you know, that's a huge step. That means learning to hunt, becoming confident enough to do it on your own, and then becoming confident enough to guide others. And you have to pass the test to be a professional guide. And uh, we actually provide opportunities for them to go out with our guides that um, have been doing this hunt for us for quite a while. And so they, they get a mentoring experience with a guide too, um, you know, from that perspective. And then as we have some of our guides retiring who have been doing it for over 10 years now, we are filling in with some um, of our sisters of the sage is what we call them. That's our group of hunters who have gone through the event and uh, that's their community. And it's really cool to have them come back and they know so much what that new hunter is going through and the special, you know, um, support that she might need. So the hunt there are 45 ladies that are going to be out hunting and now they're not all directly from Wyoming. And that's kind of a cool part too, where they come from all over the country. Yeah, that's true. Um, so we actually have 47 this year, which is um, our, our biggest number that we have ever had. And um, so that's, you know, exciting too, to kind of have that biggest number out there, but um, but you're right. We've had hunters from over 40 states in the country. And um, every year we have a solid number from Wyoming, but we also have them from across the country. And so, you know, you can imagine the logistics of that. Um, everyone has to have hunter safety going into it, of course. And so we help coordinate if they don't have it, um, that they need to get that there locally, or um, sometimes they've come to Wyoming to get it. Um and then just coordinating their travel and helping them get to Ucross. It's not exactly the most convenient place to get to from an airport, <laughs> as you might imagine. So um, all of that. And then, um, then we do our best to pair them up with someone else who has something in common with them. Um, to we, we stay at the ranch at Ucross. And so they have a roommate and they get an opportunity to kind of cement that a relationship with someone through sharing a room with them throughout the weekend. And then we also pair them up with another hunter. Um, and so, you know, as I kind of alluded to before, if you're a new hunter, then you'll be paired up with um, an experienced hunter. And so there's those, those two um, relationships that help them get to know the area if they're not from Wyoming or the sport if they're not from hunting. Um, and so it's really cool to just see people from all walks of life and all areas of the country get together and feel the camaraderie and um, just that there's so much positivity at the event that it's, it's just, um, it's kind of, you kind of have to experience it, I think, to really understand how cool it is, but we really enjoy it every year. I, I can only imagine the, the friendships that have been bonded there at, at this, this hunt, because you know, you're staying with somebody, you're, you're really getting to know someone. And then all of a sudden, wow, you've got a best friend or, you know, another acquaintance that, you know, maybe it's just what the doctor ordered. Yeah, that's right. And, um, there've been a lot of 
instances where we think, you know, we're kind of matchmakers. So we know a little bit about these hunters and we try to learn as much as possible before the hunt, but there's only so much you can learn from afar. Right. right. And so <clears throat> we do our best to match them with someone that we think they have something in common with, but it has sometimes been um, just so impactful for them and they have created lifelong relationships and uh, continue to stay in touch with their hunting partner or their roommate for years. And that's always super satisfying for us to be like, okay, yeah, we really, um, we really helped make this happen. We introduced them to each other and um, you know, they are keeping in touch and it's, it's extra special when it works, when there's extra magic with it, which there often is. So the, the hunt is coming up the, the 12th through the 15th. And the reason that I, I really wanted to get you on is because, as you had mentioned, you have to have hunter safety. You have to have all this down. So it's not a, a process that can be done in just a couple of weeks. You actually have to plan ahead. And uh, now would be a great time to start looking into the 2024 hunt. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, we have all of our hunters in place and, you know, we have for months and we actually open um, registration opportunities in December. Um, and so we, we try to have our hunters fairly established by January or February, um, with the exception of we do have a scholarship program. So a third, uh, about a third of our hunters come on scholarship and then the rest of the Hunters are a mix of um, individuals, and then we have sponsors because this is also a fundraiser for the Wyoming Women's Foundation, which is, I know, an unusual format for a fundraiser. But um, And so we have sponsors that um, will send a team or a hunter, and um, those scholarships then, the um, they open, they have in the past opened in February and um, closed in March, so they're open for about a month there. And um, folks that, you know, wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity to do a guided hunt uh, are encouraged to apply for those scholarships. And those are, you know, not necessarily all of our first time hunters, because we also need a lot of mentor hunters. But um, they're just folks that really want to connect with the, the idea of women going out hunting together and learning together in the field and um, people who really want to harvest their own meat and learn how to process it from field to fork. Um, and so those are selected in March and we have everyone ready to go by May so that they can, um, th we put them in for the draw for um, a license. Okay. So yeah, that process, it starts really early. I mean, yeah, literally the moment that we finish up them from this year, we'll be getting ready for next year, but there still are a couple of ways that folks could get involved for this year. Um, so actually today, October 1st, we will be opening our online fundraising auction. And so we encourage folks to go over to wyomingwomensantelopehunt.org and you can sign up for our online auction bidding there. And that way you can participate a little bit from afar and get a taste of what happens at the event and um, the fundraising aspect of it. Our fundraising dinner is on Friday night, October 13th. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. Friday, October 13th, which is a little bit of an ominous date, but it's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we open the online portion of the auction on October 1st, as I said, and then that will close at the same time as our regular auction on Friday night of the, the hunt weekend. So our hunters come in on the Thursday, the 12th, and they leave on Sunday, the 15th. 
But um, in between there, we have a big group of folks come in. We have about 300 people come out to the ranch at Ucross and um, they all have a great dinner with us. And um, we do a live auction, and a silent auction, and then this online portion of the auction and then a big raffle as well. So if folks want to um, participate, they can do so through our website. And then also, um, you know, feel free to contact us if you're wanting to have more information about attending. So there's so tons of opportunities to be a sponsor and to uh, participate either as a hunter or as a guest at the auction or at the online auction. You know, we'd love to hear from you and love to hear about people that, that want to help uh, come out to the hunt and make it a big success. Where can they go to find out all the information they need and get in on the, uh, the auction? That is wyomingwomensantelopehunt.org. Rebecca, we, we do appreciate it. And I want to talk to you after the hunt is over so we can kind of get a recap and, and hear some of the, the great stories. Oh, I would love to. That would be awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, have fun. And I uh, hope you get a little uh, time to, to relax a little bit over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.